If your company is completely happy with your digital marketing, ignore the next 25 seconds. Great, you're still here. I'm Mike Mothner, founder and CEO of W Promote, where we are obsessed with helping our clients grow profitably through digital marketing. We combine an addiction to data and killer creative with integrated strategies for paid search, social, SEO, content marketing, and email. Learn more about how we can help you to think like a challenger at wpromote.com tech. That's wpromote.com tech. Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner. From Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. If your company is completely happy with your digital marketing, ignore the next 25 seconds. Great, you're still here. I'm Mike Mothner, founder and CEO of W Promote, where we are obsessed with helping our clients grow profitably through digital marketing. We combine an addiction to data and killer creative with integrated strategies for paid search, social, SEO, content marketing, and email. Learn more about how we can help you to think like a challenger at wpromote.com slash tech. That's wpromote.com slash tech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliet Lamar, and joining us today is Kevin McKernan. He is the CSO at Medicinal Genomics. Welcome, Kevin. Uh, thank you for having me. I love being on the cast. I was on it once before and really enjoy the content. We're so happy to have you back, and you know, well, because your company has so much to offer and so much what we're doing here. So go ahead and remind listeners um, about what you're doing over at Medicinal Genomics and, and how, how it can affect us. Well, the latest project, uh, we, we've been working on sequencing the cannabis genome to a much better extent than we had seven years ago. So um, if, you, if you Google our name, it'll usually be linked to a project that ended up uh, in NPR and Bloomberg. And uh, we made a stab at sequencing the cannabis genome in 2011, uh, and it turned up being a big mess. The sequencing technology we had back then just couldn't really handle the, the repeat content and the polymorphism rate in the genome. And so for many years, people have been inching away at making it better. Uh, and finally, we just uh, applied for a grant from the cryptocurrency Dash to try and do this right. I think a lot of people in the field have struggled to get the sequencing done because funding in the cannabis industry can often be very challenging. Uh, and not, not to mention, sequencing the plant can be difficult as well because you really can't move tissue around and growing it can be very complicated. You need licenses and all this. And so what we decided to do was bypass a lot of that and submit a grant to a cryptocurrency known as Dash to uh, to fund this. And they like the idea because Dash is putting a lot of effort into building a currency system for the cannabis industry. Right now, many people may know mm -hmm. that the cannabis industry has a, a real challenge in getting banking done, and they think they can solve that problem. Uh, and much of um, that banking problem, uh, many of the regulators want fixed too, because they want to do seed to sale tracking of everything in the field so that they can properly track uh, diversion. Uh, and of course, a, a cannabis genome is the ultimate forensic tool for such an activity. And so it made sense to really build the first seed to sale um, blockchain for cannabis with uh, the best reference, uh, cannabis reference that we could uh, we could build. So uh, that's that's where we started. That, that is fantastic. And, and, you know, it's such a complicated issue with cannabis because there's so much so much good that you can't access because of the regulations. And rightfully so, it's a new thing that they want to make sure it's on the market legally. They want to make sure everything is is done properly. Um, but it's incredibly frustrating, I think, on both ends um, for people who 
We want to use it medically, people who are trying to figure out if it's, if it's good or not. So having this kind of testing solution is, is much needed. It, it certainly is. I mean, we, we came at this from a medical perspective. Prior to this, we were sequencing lots of epilepsy patients. So we, we've seen the impact that it's had in epilepsy. And, and now there's an FDA-approved drug that's uh, cannabidiol um, for this. So it, it clearly has medical use now. Now it's just political. Uh, and uh, we're trying to accelerate um, the, the measurement of this plant as best we can. And so the, these cryptocurrencies were really appealing to us because not only um, are they enabling the funding of the research, but it's also becoming a really interesting way to perform peer review. Um, the peer review industry is very large. It's several billion dollars, some, some estimate as high as $25 billion. And every paper that gets published is usually costing the researchers three to $5,000 to get it published. And none of that money gets back to a researcher or even a peer reviewer. It all gets absorbed by the, the publishing industry. Uh, whereas blockchains can kind of disintermediate all that. You can basically publish your work on any website and just make sure you have cryptographic hashes that prove it hasn't been tampered with. And then you can incentivize the reviewers to do the review with the cryptocurrency and just cut all the copyright out and cut all the journal nonsense out if you want to. Um, and so we're going to experiment with that on this project. We now, 60 days later from having been funded, have a cannabis reference that's four times better than anything that's ever been put public before. Uh, it's now an NCBI, and it's now on IPFS and Amazon and Mega, and you know, but we've put it and mirrored it in like four or five different places all over the internet. But it only took 60 days of funding from Dash, and this is a total of uh, about a Dash a day. So about 60 Dash have gone into this, um, and we're able to convert all of that into DNA that ended up on a Pacific Biosciences sequencer. Uh, and that delivered these beautiful 32,000 base pair reads, and that assembled the genome up into this. Uh, into it's, ba it's basically a better quality than the Human Genome Project was when that was celebrated back in 2001 at the White House. So we finally have a real reference, uh, and this is going to help uh, tremendously in understanding the genetics of the plant and how to breed for more CBD or, or different, uh, you know, esoteric cannabinoids. And um, we're, you know, we're really excited about it because uh, we've just never had funding. And, 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 and results this quickly before. You, you can apply for a grant and then 30 days it can be funded and then you can get your work published uh, you know, 60 days later. So it really does accelerate the rate at which we can share information. I think that's a really, a really good thing. And it's a use case for cryptocurrencies is often ignored. Well, absolutely. And, and there is so much uh, trouble and turmoil with, with cannabis companies who are completely legitimate. They're having so much trouble actually using the funds from their business. And and that it seems like such a silly thing for for this for people to have to jump through is okay how do i get how do i get my money out of my business i'm making money it's doing good you know <laughs> and using cryptocurrencies that are, you know people don't really know how to use them sometimes or there's too many out there and i love that dash is really taking on that that particular industry yeah they have they've done great things in venezuela as well All, you know any any of these countries that are having currency crises um they they seem to shine now granted the united states isn't really having a currency crisis per se yet, uh, but it's certainly having one in particular industries like this. And, and it's unfortunate mm -hmm. because you can see you know, it's legal in Washington, D.C., recreationally legal, yet we still have a banking industry that has been very slow to adopt this. Um, and I think even the, some big news last uh, maybe a week or two ago was a, a public a now publicly traded company on the NASDAQ is Tilray, which is a, a great producer of, of um, cannabis up in Canada. Uh, but they're the first cannabis producer to actually be listed publicly. And so that, that's a huge sign of change that might be coming. But um, we need we need more of it. We need more of the banking industry to to, um, to recognize that the, the, the tides have turned here. 
Um, and the slower they respond to this, I think these cryptocurrencies are going to sweep in and, and not just replace the currency side of things, but they're going to probably soak up a lot of the seed to sell tracking and a lot of the um, uh, the regulatory architecture that, that may be going on in the field. So um, I, I think it's a very exciting time to be able to consider these tools for not for just research and for um, uh, for getting information out there in a censorship resistant manner. Uh, and I, I think the scientific field needs that. It's, it has its own uh, censorship issues. Absolutely. And, you know, with with uh, the genome of, of the cannabis plant being being now mapped and all the different studies that are being shown, I mean, the, the CBD alone, what it's doing for epilepsy is is amazing. How far away do you think our country is from legalizing it fully? And, and then the banking industry will have to follow suit. You know, I I have a hard time predicting um, political action. So, um, <laughs> a pro, you know, it, it could be four years, it could be two years. Uh, it, it I would imagine it's a very strong political card. If, if you look at um, who, what people vote for, more people vote for cannabis than for presidents. Um, so there, there's <laughs> that is a very strong political statement. So if you are a politician that suddenly falls into uh, you know a hot mess of some sort, that is your escape valve right there. Uh, and so I would imagine any any person who's politically inclined probably is going to, cr- you know, grasp onto that uh, and play that ace last. Uh, and so um, so I don't know. I really don't know how long it's going to take, but I have a feeling that that is someone's get out of jail free card and it's going to get played eventually. Uh, and it's just whether it's going to happen in, in two years or four is kind of my over under on it. That's a good that's a good prediction. I hope you're right. It's uh, I, I think it's so interesting how how polarized people can be on it. And it's simply you know, it mirrors cryptocurrency and blockchain a little bit. You know, people who don't know much about cannabis and they think it's only this this drug that don't see the benefits as easily as people who maybe approach it from from your standpoint, which is, okay, this is a drug we can use for medical cases. And I think a lot of times with cryptocurrency, people go into, oh, well, it's it's used for illegal practices or it's only it's only good if we have a currency crisis all those things. But in reality, it can be used for so much more. It's it's so important, I think, to underscore that because it's often tainted with uh, it's only used for drugs. And here you are sequencing genomes, whether you're, you're a, case in, a case in point. But, um, you know, we're, we're doing this to put a genome. The genome is already public. We're doing this as a public service to make sure the entire world can, can better study this plant. It's very hard to study anything in this plant. And one of the largest complaints about legalization or, or pushbacks is that we don't know enough about the plant. Um, so we're here to address that. We're going to we're putting this data public so anyone can access it, uh, and we can learn more about it. Um, so you know that that's one aspect of it. And then when it when it comes to um, you know the morality of it, I think a generational shift is happening. I agree with you that there was a generation that probably thought this was all bong shows and the medical thing was an excuse. Well, now that generation is getting back pain, getting old, and we're seeing an mm-hmm. enormous shift in people's opinion on the use of CBD. It's, 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 the use of it in the elderly population is skyrocketing. The use of it in cancer for pain and nausea is, is, is skyrocketing. And, and you can hear this by speaking to physicians in the field that everyone is coming and asking about this to get off of their opiates. So um, I, thankfully, I think that tide is turning and there's less of a generational stigma um, I do think you're right that there are still some people that have not been personally touched by it. They've not had a family member go through uh, an event where it has radically changed their their health outcomes, and so they're skeptical. And they're right to be skeptical because it hasn't really gone all the way through most of the uh, the FDA process yet. It certainly has for epilepsy. But um, at the same time, I think we have to be cognizant that the concept of centrally planned 
medicine, like an FDA organization that approves every single drug, that has not worked well in history before. Uh, we really need competition there, and we need alternate ways of evaluating drug safety than just everything must go through one federal agency. Uh, that exposes the agency to a tremendous amount of corruption, and, and that has been seen in the past. We have seen all types of investigations, insider trading on information coming out of the FDA. So, uh, and, and, you know, I know a lot of people down there, they're doing excellent work and the architecture of that hierarchy is not their problem, but it certainly does leave one as a consumer somewhat skeptical when 25 cents of every dollar is basically a result of FDA um, regulation. And you can even see this in the PDUFA Act at the FDA. We have uh, the PDUFA Act in 1992 enables the pharmaceutical industry to basically re to basically defray their costs of the FDA by paying them directly. Any other regulatory agency that was paid directly by those who they're going to regulate would probably be held up to a little bit more scrutiny than that. Um, so I, I think we do have new tools that are at our fingertips now with uh, the tools that we use to, to uh, determine which car you get in. A, these are great peer-to-peer -peer networks that tell you, okay, this person is a safe Uber driver. I'm going to trust them with my life. Uh, that's kind of like trusting someone with a drug. Uh, and we have tools that now rate these things, and we can do a lot of discovery in the marketplace as to which drugs are working and which ones aren't without having to necessarily put down a 200 to $800 million trial. So I encourage people to take both approaches and, and applaud anyone who gets through uh, either way because I think um, we, we need to have different mechanisms for evaluating drug safety. No, absolutely. Besides the, the, the challenges that we've talked about, you know, the legalization, um, the the people not understanding exactly what they're doing here. What are some of the the other challenges that that you foresee in the future that you are currently fighting against? Well, um, uh, one of the challenges the field is struggling with is um, speaking of driving is safe driving, uh, and that mm -hmm. is one area that that needs a lot more work. We're not necessarily working on that here, but uh, we typically like to super superimpose um, water soluble drugs like ethanol. Uh, onto cannabinoids. And unfortunately, the dose profile curves for cannabinoids don't give you the predictability that you have with ethanol. If you have a blood alcohol content of a certain level, you can predict on a sway scale, you know, whether or not you can drive a car. There's, there's good science behind that. Uh, we don't have that good science behind cannabinoids. Uh, when people are medically taking cannabinoids, their receptors up and down regulate within like a 72 hour period. Okay. So you can be a patient, uh, who has back pain, uh, be on, on small amounts of CBD or THC. Uh, and these compounds elevate in your bloodstream and stick around for 30 days while there's no sign of impairment. Um, so there's going to be a lot of people that are going to get falsely, I think, arrested and get, being given DUIs because they're using this medically and it happens to be in their bloodstream, but there's absolutely no evidence of impairment. Um, so I think we need new impairment measurements not that aren't necessarily blood chemistry-based because the blood chemistry is not very clean on this. We cannot get really good cannabinoid profiles in the blood to predict impairment. Um, so we probably need tools on either portable cell phones or some type of um, you know driving simulator roadside test that can prove whether or not you're impaired uh, as opposed to this blood chemistry thing. What we're seeing is there is more of an incumbent financial market focused around blood chemistry because there's testing labs that want that business and they're trying to put forward all types of tools for that. And um, so that, that's a bit of a conundrum, I think, socially that we need to all get educated on and, 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 and understand because there are risks with, uh, with this. And uh, I think driving is the, one, the number one thing that everyone brings up and, and the science isn't quite there yet to be testing people roadside. Yeah, and a lot of people are worried about that. Um, but, you know, a lot of drugs impair us to not drive, and they just have a warning label on the, the drug. 
Um, they do. And I that feel like a lot true. more a lot more thought is going into this and a lot more controversy is going into this when, you know, you take too much, you know, volume or, or a painkiller of some kind, you can't drive a vehicle at all either. And it, it actually mirrors more of the ethanol than maybe cannabis would. I think you're right. That's true. It's certainly true with CBD. CBD is not known to be psychotropic. Um, it's probably, you know, psychoactive is probably not the right word with CBD because it is an anxiolytic. But, but there is, a, I think, a bit of a difference in that. Even with THC, which is known to have some some impairment in, in peripheral vision and driving, um, it uh, it doesn't get out of your system as quickly as let's say Valium, uh, and so you you get penalized for having taken taken the medicine three days ago when you when there's no sign of current impairment with these lipid soluble drugs. The the other drugs seem to clear a little bit quicker. So so it's a little bit. I agree with you that there, I think there's a little bit more um, hype around that fear. Um, and, uh, but there is actually some reasoning behind the patient's concerns, at least that they are going to get, um, they're going to get penalized for times when they're not actually impaired. Yeah. And that's, and that's a, a fear that might even stop some people because they just don't want to get in trouble, right? They might like this drug better. They don't like the side effects of volume and whatnot, but they're thinking, oh, I'm going to get in trouble if I do this, you know, 30 days ago and I get pulled over. And I feel like that's such an unfair way to judge to judge this medicine. I think you're right. And it also, it also has an impact on different age brackets too, like children, right? So epileptic yeah. children, it's pretty obvious this helps. Well, now there's all this evidence that, you know, 30% of kids with autism have seizures. So there's, there's like a lot of genes that overlap between those who have autism and those that have epilepsy. And it's, it's thought that they share some commonalities and what, what are known as channelopathies, like sodium and calcium channels that may have, that may bear mutations. So people are starting to show some success in autism now. Uh, now, if you're a parent and your child has autism, are you going to risk Child Protective Services coming in to take your kid away for using what might be a safer drug than something else they may be giving them? Um, th- th- these are uh, th- these are really hard questions for parents to manage, and so I think most parents probably shy away from that because they don't want the, the, that uh, to have to deal with that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot more to be done on how we classify this medicine because if it's showing results but it still has a stigma, that would be quite unfortunate, not giving people the care they need. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons that that really motivated us to get into the field was that the toxicology on these drugs are remarkable. I mean, you just don't see drugs that are that are this uh, tolerant. Uh, they measure these things with, you know, LD50s and, and therapeutic indices, and there's very few compounds that are as safe as the cannabinoids. Uh, now, there's a, there are a host of other risks that can come with cannabis cultivation that, that we're trying to address by making microbial tests um, that monitor... Uh, microbes that might grow in the plant. This is not a risk of the cannabinoids themselves. It's a risk of, of farming and processing cannabis because there are microbes that can grow on it. And if you inhale those through, you know, most people aren't taking this through a route of administration through inhalation, but some people are recreationally and sometimes even as patients, you can get those spores in your lungs. And there's been a few rare cases of aspergillosis and, and, and cryptococcal meningitis that have been in the, pub, in, the, in the literature. So one thing the genome sequence helps us do uh, is we can now separate what is cannabis DNA from what is microbial DNA much more readily. And uh, and now we can design tests that can test for those things to, to inform people of the type of microbial risk that might exist on the flower. Uh, and we have those tests actually running now in um, probably over 15 or 20 states, uh, California included. Um, and so those have really um, latched on that the the, uh, the regulators are mandating that that the, the cannabis flower be microbe free, and um, there's now DNA tools that can do that more precisely. Now that is fantastic because you know we've been talking a lot about the medical industry because I'm so passionate about that and you are as well. Um, but you know this will go publicly recreational, probably countrywide soon, and we need to watch out for people who are just consuming it for fun as well. 
Yeah, there's you know people bring that up as if it's a, it's a vice and it's bad, but if you actually look at cannabinoids, they're more like an exit drug than an entry drug. Um, there's mm-hmm. all this work that's being done at Harvard um, from Stacy Gruber's uh, group that look at uh, CBD as an exit drug of opiates. Um, they're showing some success in alcoholism as well. You know, one of the biggest risks of taking an alcoholic off of alcohol is that they'll go into seizures. And what's great for seizures? Huh. CBD, right? So, uh, and there's also evidence showing that it, it, it plays some part in the dopamine pathway reward system that drives down addictive desires. THC is different than CBD, and I think that's something that a lot of people in the marketplace don't really understand. They 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 uh, collectivize all cannabis as one thing, and they assume it's just all psychoactive. But now there's actually very different cannabinoids that are made. And we're now understanding what those genes look like in the genome and how to how to genetically screen for plants that only make CBD versus THC so we can accelerate breeding in one direction or the other. But the recreational use, I would bet societally, is going to have a massive health impact in, in a positive direction because what we're seeing is states are trading off uh, alcohol for cannabis. And that's a much healthier choice by all measures. And, they, and the alcohol industry knows this. They are throwing money at the space hand over fist. I think we just saw, um, is it Constellation Brands? Or whoever owns Corona just dropped 3 to $4 billion into canopy growth in Canada. Um, and mm-hmm. so they've re, they re-upped their investment in, in cannabis grows because they see their, every state it legalizes and they lose 10 to 15% of their sales. And their only hedge against that is to own part of the production process in the cannabis field. So... Um, while people may point it as advice, I think what we're going to see is people are going to be making healthier choices by using cannabis recreationally over alcohol. Yeah, I remember reading a study about that. Uh, I'm located in California, so this is a big issue for us here. Um, I remember reading a study about how alcohol sales were down once recreational marijuana was was approved, and I thought that was such a great thing. You know, there's there's so much less that can go wrong, I feel like, when someone is high as opposed to drunk, and it's 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 wonderful to see a positive change happening in that way. Um, also, a lot of things we're seeing here in my state are CBD cocktails, which I think oh, is that's interesting right. way. For- <laughs> yeah, they, they even uh, they even remove the alcohol out of some of those cocktails, right? I mean, they I do. Think they do. One from Lagunitas, that uh, it's just CBD or CBD THC and no alcohol, and it's in some type of beer. I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, so it's it's almost that I feel like is is a really good way to to bridge the gap between because drinking in our society is very socially acceptable, and maybe smoking is you know or taking cannabis orally is not as acceptable in California may be different, but um, you know having a beer with friends and now you could if you don't want the alcohol you could still enjoy a Lagunitas beer that that only has the the cannabis in it that you that you prefer. So it's it's a very interesting time we're in, and I love the creativity that is spurring from it. Well, I hope we can encourage some of those folks, if they hear this cast, to come down to uh, CanMed at UCLA. So we, we host a conference there every year. Um, it's, called, it's not always at UCLA. It was at Harvard Med School the last two years. Um, but it's, it basically is a, a conference that focuses on personalized medicine, cannabinoids, and we're even having a blockchain track this year because we think there's so many touch points of that technology in the cannabis space that, that, that makes sense to have. But uh, very medically oriented. So we would love to see um, some of the recreational folks that are making products that are medically better recreational tools, because I think sometimes it's hard for us to separate recreation and, and medicine. Oftentimes, if you don't have enough of the former, you'll end up needing more of the latter. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, tying those two together, uh, we'd love to uh, have folks attend and, and, and show off their stuff there, because I think it's a, it's a healthy transition for society. So tell us a little bit about when 
CanMed is, and then also give us a little bit of information here in closing about how people can connect with you and find out more. Okay, so um, CanMed is October 22nd to uh, the 24th at the Luskin Center at UCLA. Uh, many luminaries will be speaking there. Uh, Raphael Machulam, who discovered CBD and THC back in 1964, will be speaking, and, and a host of other genomics people and, and, uh, and physicians, a lot of physician uh, stories. Um, and then uh, you can find me at Medicinal Genomics. That's the company that runs CanMed, and then we also build these uh, mold testing kits and bacteria testing kits, and then we perform a lot of um, sequencing of people's cannabis strains to put them on the blockchain. There is a um, there's a bit of a patent story behind all this. In 2015, the U.S. government started issuing cannabis patents that are very, very broad uh, and probably not actually that novel. And so people are doing... Uh, to defend against those things is sequencing their strains and putting them public on a blockchain that we manage with Dash called Canopedia, with a spelled with a K. And that hosts a, a bunch of genetics of the plants. So you can learn about the biology of the plants, and you can learn about if your plants are closely bred to something else or really far away. Um, but those uh, those are all hosted on medicinalgenomics.com. That's probably the best place to uh, network to all of those, those sites. Fantastic. Well, Kevin, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today, and really looking forward to, uh, to hopefully seeing you at CanMed and having you on the show again to, uh, to update us more in a few months. All right. Well, thank you very much for the time and uh, appreciate it. Hope to see people at CanMed. Absolutely. That is Kevin McKernan. He is the CSO at Medicinal Genomics. Again, you can find all that information at medicinalgenomics.com. Thank you all so much for tuning in. This has been Juliet Lamar with Future Tech Podcast. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.